Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these. Go to 11 once again. I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me, as always, Mr. Well, not really Mr., but Zach Bartles. Zach, what's going on, man? Dude, I'm a little bit like conflicted right now. My, my original plan for this follow-up was to kind of take the position that uh, we shouldn't have probably even bothered to have that guy on, but I don't want to kick you while you're down. <laughs> people, people need to know we're recording this like mere moments after the last one. So, yeah. so you're still in the same uh, temperament and place, <laughs> psychically speaking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, I, I mean, you notice like I, there were a lot of times where I just didn't even jump in. I let you do a lot of the talking and uh, a lot of that was just because of uh, where, I, where I'm at mentally, you know. So like as soon as we got on something that I, you know, knew I could jump in and roll with, um, you know, I would hit it hard, but then I'd kind of back off and be like, okay, I need a minute. <laughs> so, um, Man, but, can I, can I tell you the last question I wanted to ask this dude? Yeah. If he hadn't had to conveniently get his daughter to whatever. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask him why, why bother to write at all mm-hmm. or do anything? You know, he, he makes a big deal about this Neil deGrasse Tyson's, uh, uh, Metaphor, I guess, is what it is. Right. Um, that that uh, if all of the history of the universe is a day, a twenty-four hour day, then the last fourteen seconds has been most of culture, like every picture painted, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And in in which case, like our lifetimes are like a, a tiny, like a millisecond, right? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to like write your little book and go on the podcast and stuff. Why, why didn't he wind up in nihilism, which would make the most sense mm. and say, it doesn't matter. It's not necessarily good. And also, we never even got into any moral arguments. You know, he says it's, it's not fair or loving for God right, but to yeah. deduce A or B. How do you define fair or loving apart right. from categories that God gives us? So there was an awful lot that we didn't, we didn't have a chance to get to because it was such a, a brief time. It's true. Yeah. And, you know, initially, like uh, you'll, you'll hear on the podcast, initially we were, we had just set it up, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Um, and, you know, we just, we kept rolling with it. And it was like, you know, I, people, you know, obviously have heard it last week. This one's going to be released um, a week later. Um, but, you know, we just, we rocked and rolled with it and, you know, went over an hour with it. So, um, you know, so much to discuss there and, and it helps that, um, you know, the dude was, uh, really cool to talk to, you know, Evan was a great guest to have on and, you know, didn't, um, you know, didn't go the way of, uh, the douchebag and, um, <laughs> you know, which he wasn't condescending most of the time yeah. and we weren't condescending most of, most the, time. of the time. And that's the most you can ask for in that kind of exchange. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we're, uh, just, you know, for people to, to catch up a little bit, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, I thought that was going to be a yawn because you're so tired, but it was a sneeze because <laughs> you have a sinus infection. Yeah. Oh, you poor little fella. <laughs> <laughs> I might just leave that in there for kicks and giggles. I mean. <laughs> oh, you got to leave that in. Yeah. Um, Everybody say God bless you when you hear that. That's Come right. on. <laughs> um, and I just totally forgot what I was going to say, too. Sneezed, sneezed it right But it wasn't a D-bag. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it's good because, like, you know – it's always hard getting into those conversations because essentially when you're coming from two different worldviews, um, you know, and you talked about, you know, the presupposition, how we presuppose things are, you know, that's going to affect our worldview. That's going to affect the way in which we perceive things. Um, and, and it can be hard sometimes. It can be hard to, um, you know, sit there on both ends because you both believe you're right. You're both engaging in this argument and you're both passionate about being right. Um, and I think he tried to play it, you know, a little, um, a little more casual, but, but the reality is like, you, you don't go out and write a book about something that you're not passionate about. Um, Zach, I know, you know, a bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've written, you know, you've written several books, you know, I was speaking with Greg and the books that he's written. Like, you don't, you don't just sit down and write a book about something you're, you know, you're disinterested in and you're half interested. No, you write about what you're passionate about. Um, Go Unless ahead. you think you can make a ton of money, and he knew going in that that wasn't the case. Right, exactly. So this is obviously something that he takes a great deal of interest in. Um, and 
and I appreciated the fact that he was, you know, on a base level when it comes to the science, at least he was honest about that because I run into so many people that aren't, um, where you have this, this law of science that disproves how you think the earth came into existence, but you're still going to follow that line of thinking anyway. Um, but at the now same help time, me out with that a minute, Nathan, yeah. because I know that I've I've read a lot about the second law of thermodynamics, which is this deal that like entropy itself means you can't get order from chaos in right. a closed system. Right. What's What's the first law that you kept referencing? I'm energy not cannot that. be created or destroyed. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So if energy cannot be created or destroyed, where did the energy in order to create the universe come from? Ooh. I mean, and that's. That's my biggest question. Like that is the question that just stops everyone cold in their tracks. Um, and you know, even David, or I'm sorry, even Evan, you know, was like, yeah, I can't, I can't explain that. And that's where I was going with the whole thing where science is limited. Science can't tell us everything. And I didn't mean to say that science can't tell us anything about the past or science can't tell us anything, you know, but, but science can't answer everything. And so until we acknowledge the fact that science has a role and function and job and we start and stops trying to apply it to things where it doesn't fit, I don't think we're ever going to move beyond where we are. I mean, that's, that's the problem with this whole evolution debate is, and, and again, when I say evolution, because I'm, I'm so careful in my class to talk about secular evolution versus evolution. Evolution, the basic definition is change over time. There's no one who doesn't believe that things change over time. Microevolution versus macroevolution. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so understanding that, okay, if we have this law of science, the first law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Something has to be broken within science in order to answer the questions of the origin of the earth. Either the first law of thermodynamics is sometimes right and we have a whole nother problem there and it and it works in some cases or the origins of the earth did not occur how secular scientists believe it occurred and one of those two things has to be true it's one or the other um and for my money at this point, we have not disproven the first law of thermodynamics, but we also can't go back in time and prove the origins of the Earth. So for my money, that's where the problem is. Yeah, and it all comes down to very selective, you know, I'm going to choose the the area of science or theology or philosophy where my case looks the strongest. And so his yeah. book is obviously that. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like it was worthwhile, a worthwhile exchange? Did, it, did anything get accomplished? I I do from a couple of perspectives. I think one, um, I think it caused um, Evan, at least as near as I could tell, to think about some things. I, you know, I don't necessarily know that he's going to agree with us, but I, but I think it gave him two extra fellows to kind of consider and be like, okay, these guys, these guys, they, they know what they're talking about. You know, they, they have put some things out there. Um, and, and I know it did the same for me because I know for me, one of the benefits is listening to arguments. Okay. Where, where am I lacking? Well, clearly I'm lacking in explaining myself and what science can and can't do. Um, and so for at least when you're exhausted, you're lacking in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, so for me, I put it in the realm of not only what do I think that person might've got from it, but what do I think I got from it? Um, I love engaging in these things because it, it helps strengthen, uh, it helps strengthen and resolve my faith. You know, as you're going in and you're talking, um, you know, about the condition of man in scripture, it's like, yeah, you know, this is, this is what the Bible says. You know, we're all, we're all fallen. We're all depraved, you know, like you can't, you can't beat around the bush, you know, and you can't really argue with that as much as people try, um, which is something else that I would have loved to have, you know, hit on is, uh, a couple of different things. One is, you know, this condition that we see of good and bad. And I know you wanted to talk to him about, well, what do you believe is morally right or wrong about this? Because how do we gauge morality without God? And I know that's something you wanted to kind of hit him on. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to talk about was also the severeness of the consequence. You know, uh, we look around society and we see legitimate, um, you know, offenses and those offenses and how they look um, in society and how they play out. So for instance, if I commit treason against a king, I'm executed. 
if I commit treason against a friend, if I'm unloyal to a friend, I'm not going to be executed. I might lose the friendship. I might lose the friend, but I'm not going to be executed. If I commit treason against an almighty, most high God, then the degree of my punishment is going to be commiserate with his standing in the universe. Yeah, that, that is a really good point. And, and I actually had that a similar um, kind of progression in mind. And, and, and in these things, you got to jot everything down because yeah. it's going so fast, you forget. It happened to him too. Yeah. I think we graciously cut it out because and, and we, we would have for ourselves. Right. But uh, I, I've heard it put like if you, swat, if you kill a mosquito, no one cares. Yeah. You know, if you kill a person, people will put you in jail. If right. you kill an old person, we throw you under the jail. You're the worst. If you kill the president, we execute you. Yeah. And and so yeah, who who is being offended matters very much. And so yeah, that's another that's another good answer. And and I mean to his, it's kind of maybe not even fair for us to like do all this stuff after the fact, and he's not here to 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 respond. But can can I ask you then, vis a vis like the the helpfulness of it, or whether or not it was mm-hmm. you know a a, a valid. Um, exchange what what how do you interpret matthew 7 6 when jesus says do not give dogs what is holy do not throw your pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you yeah i to me i would kind of look at that and think about things in regard of we are to preach and present the gospel to people and so i feel like as long as there's an openness to hearing the gospel, even if the person's rejecting it, if they're if they're willing to be open about it and and maintain a level of civility about it, then why not engage them? Um, mm-hmm. And I've been in discussions where people have not been open and civil about it, and it's like I'm kind of done with that. Like we don't, I don't need to get worked up and frustrated over this because I know my temperament and personality is that I will, you know. And people might have you know heard me getting more passionate, like. When I debate people in formal debate, I get really, really passionate about what I'm talking about. Um, and so I feel like maintaining a dialogue with somebody who's willing to ask and answer questions on both ends, I, I don't feel like that's you know casting your pearls before swine. I feel like that's, hey, this is an area where we're actually building some sort of a relationship around it. You know, he, I mean, we heard on the end of, uh, toward the end of the podcast where he had to go, I, you know, he'd like to come back on. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that that makes for a great open dialogue, maybe even the great start of, of a friendship that's involved. Um, yeah. If yeah. somebody comes to me right out and is like, hey, you know what? I know you're a Christian, but I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. To me, that would be casting your pearls before swine. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and you know, I would agree with with uh, your assessment of the thing more after the fact than before. Mm-hmm. When you when you see the the um, well, the cover on the 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 copy, the back cover copy is a disaster. But when you look at the the title of it and you know, kind of the tone of it. My assumption was that he was going to be very mocking and that sort of thing. It was a little like laughing at you know our the, the claims of scripture, but but we knew we were getting into that. Right. Um, when when you're dealing with someone who who really does just want to, um, you know, I'm I, I'm an atheist on the internet. Debate me because they want to just kind of mock and and tear apart. Right. Um, that I, I've always been told, you know, you answer a pilot, you say nothing to a Herod. Yeah. When Herod wanted to just, you know, come here and heal me, ha, 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 make sport of Christ, Jesus said nothing. With Pilate, he, he said what is truth, and Jesus, you know, Jesus exchanged with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But even with Pilate, we read uh, at, at, after a very brief exchange, but Jesus made no further answer. So right. that Pilate was amazed um, that there's a good time to cut it off yeah. and not keep these things going on forever. Yeah. For, beforehand, my thought was, here's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. A, I looked him up. He's literally got 13 followers on Twitter. The book's not doing so great. And I was thinking, you know, why are we going to, you know, lend him a platform for this thing that he's trying to launch? Um, because when, when, say, James White goes and debates, you know, well, Christopher Hitchens is dead, but, you know, right, somebody right. major, there are so many people following that person on the other side yep. that you're not doing the debate for that guy. You're right. doing it for all the people who had fallen under his spell. 
spell that you might reach. Yeah. I don't think anyone has fallen under Evan David's spell. Right. And so as a debate, it didn't really have any, any merit, but the way that you approached it with a, a discussion, I think it did end up at the end actually being a worthwhile exchange. It was, it was kind of a evolution, if you will, for <laughs> me throughout the thing to kind of come around to it and go, eh, no, I think this guy actually is pretty intellectually honest and I don't think he wants to just like mock and tear down. And yet when you go on his, and I know we all tend to be more strident on the internet, right. but when you go on his website, um, it's, it's basically like blog post after blog post with very cool graphic. It's a cool looking site, very cool looking site. Um, but you, each one is just like, ha ha, how does anyone believe this? Right. Um, and that's the kind of thing that made me think this was going to be uh, us being like, here, swiney, swiney, have right. some pearls and spend some time on our podcast, you know, tearing apart, then tear us apart while you're at it. Right. Um, thankfully that didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important too, to understand that you can, you can be honest with yourself because I think, I think you were, you know, answering that question on hell was great. You know, being like, yeah, it, it doesn't sit well with me. You know, and, and throwing him off like that, like, yeah, I believe it's true, but it doesn't, it still doesn't sit well. And it's okay to be honest about those things. Like, yeah, I, I know that there's a day of justice coming and I know that the Lord is holy and just and righteous. And so I know these things sit well with him because he's perfect. And so they have to, because there's not one of his attributes that's going to be outdone by the other. And so, yes, he is a God of right. love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of righteousness and justice. And so that righteousness and justice must be satisfied. Um, right. Yeah. So, if, if he is who he says he is. Right. And, and all of his, all of his attributes are also his perfections. Right. And I think that's something that the, the natural mind can't like just grasp because we, it's, it's a, it's a super swirly of irony, man, yeah. because we have this geologic column. Do you see how I keep bringing in the metaphors from the, uh, the world of this debate? We have this geologic column that kind of sorts, <laughs> um, you know, what's the highest good? Well, it's love. Okay. First right. of all, what is love and why is it good? Right. We'll even leave that aside. And then is, you know, uh, mercy. And then, and then, you know, and it all depends on the moment that you're, you're making these because they're all culturally determined. Yeah. So you know, this is all what happens to be popular. And, and, and the, the, the column of this stuff, how it sorts out is different than it was 20 years ago. So within that millisecond that is my lifetime, even breaking that up into decades, this stuff is shifting and changing. So we've got this column. Love is at the top. Justice is somewhere in there, but it doesn't mean what God calls it, you know, says about it. It only means uh, a very thin stripe. Right. Um, and usually human fairness. We, I mean, I have no problem with, with social justice, but, but like, you know, people who are social justice proponents aren't necessarily God's justice and, and right. uh, divine justice proponents. Right. And then way, 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 way down to the bottom would be like a sense that uh, sin must be punished and, and there must be, you know, a sense of uh, paying for wrongs. And, and so when somebody comes at it, like there's this, there's this spectrum and way on one side or way at the top is, the most important stuff. And I get to determine what that is. Mm -hmm. And the way at the bottom is the least important stuff. And we go, oh, hold on a minute. All of these things that are God's attributes mm -hmm. are all equally God's attributes and are yeah. all his perfections and are all to the infinite degree who he is. And that's what you were just saying. But I mean, I think that's a, a major point. Oh yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I, I would rather have his wife on and talk to her than have him on again, because I find that to be the most fascinating part about the whole discussion. Yeah. Uh, that, that he wrote this book and put it out and is promoting it. That's basically like, honey, you're a dumb-dumb. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I know he's not. He's, he's right. being much nicer about it, but right. that's the subtext. It is. There are statements in this book that basically say, how could any rational thinking person still believe this stuff? Right. Um, yikes. And, and you know what, though? I have great hope. Because did you watch The Case for Christ? Uh, I did not. Not yet. It's on Netflix, so it's on my queue list right now. Watch it. I thought it was going to suck. It was pure flicks, and I've been burned by them before. <laughs> uh, and I'd read the book, and I loved it. it dude, it made, me, it made me cry. I'm not ashamed to say. But he was as, you know, kind of stridently against this stuff. Yeah. He was writing a story against it. He, had, he hadn't yet gotten to the point of publishing his big 
thing, but he was close. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit came and convicted him of his sin, granted him repentance. He, he was justified, born again. And, and it's a miracle every time. And it's no less a miracle for the guy who wrote the anti-Christian book right. and the guy who's, you know, it, 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 the guy, it doesn't matter. Right. And so I, 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 I'm interested in the story part of it more than the tired old debates that have been hashed out again and again. Right. Um, I don't know anybody who's been like who's read a book like this or even a really well-written one that's, you know, that's published. I mean, there, there are some major problems with this book. I, I, I've published, I, I've been published, um, you know, for real. And my editor, no editor at like HarperCollins or, or any major publishing houses would, would be okay with this, with this sucker. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anyone who's read, read any of these books and lost his or her faith. Right. Well, and that's it doesn't the, go that yeah. No, I mean, I've read, uh, I, I set out and was reading um, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. A friend of mine and I were uh, going through it. We were doing um, some Bible studies for uh, a period of time. And so, you know, we came across some aspects of apologetics that we wanted to look more into and in defending our faith. So we, you know, read uh, The God Delusion. And I, I mean, to me, it was just, it was frustrating because this book was, you know, a bestseller and it was like, how? Mess. How? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and and I remember, um, I remember watching the debate between Ravi Zacharias and Richard Dawkins uh, when those two debated uh, back in the day, and I remember, uh, you know, and of course, I, I will fully admit that you know what, I'm a believer, and so everything you know Ravi Zacharias says is just pure gold, aside from the fact that he has that really cool accent. Um, everything he says is just pure gold and on the money and his humor and wit. I mean, it's all just there. Um, but I remember after that debate, reading an article that talked about how, you know, the atheistic community at, um, I, I forget if it was Oxford or Cambridge, wherever he's at, came back and basically apologized like, yeah, I know he was supposed to have represented us, but he did a horrible job representing us. Like, well, he's so arrogant. It's just crazy. Yeah. Just in the form, but in the formal sense of the debate, just did such a horrible job in that debate that they were just like, yeah, we, we fully admit that we lost that debate. And it was like, there's nothing we can do about it other than apologize to all you other atheists out there that this well, actual academics are really frustrated with guys like, like Dawkins. And yeah. I know, I know he's got the, the alphabet soup after his name from, from legit organizations. But I mean, for, for that matter, Dr. Gene Scott had a, a degree from uh, Yale Divinity School. So, I mean, right. there are ways around these things. But, but uh, when, when someone goes kind of full, I mean, really, what, what he is, he's, he's the Fox News of atheism, right? Yeah. I mean, someone yeah. goes kind of full lowest common denominator, um, they're not really going to be a good representative. Right. And, and so I don't think it's even fair to, to, to knock down the God delusion and feel like you've really answered atheism. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good warm up. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels like all of those in that era, you know, like all of those, I, I think, aren't they called like the new atheists or something like that? Yeah. New atheism, PZ Myers. And I mean, there's, there's six or seven guys, right. Sam, what's his name? Yeah. I, I used to read them pretty widely and I realized they were all just quoting and citing each other and saying the same stuff. Right. And, getting more and more kind of shrill and I just lost all interest in it. It's a sad clown show. Right. Well, and that's, and that's pretty much where we landed and it was like, they're, they're not saying anything. First of all, they're not, they're not giving any credence to science whatsoever. They're fully admitting science can't answer everything, but in that admittance, they're like, but one day it will. And so I mock people who have faith, but you guys need to have faith in us that what we're yep. saying is true. And it's like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that it will bear us out. And, and you know, science from ages ago uh, doesn't comport with what they believe. Right. And yet, uh, you know, they, they want to say, basically, we've arrived, right. but we just have a few more little flourishes to put on. Right. And no, no, no. That's how they felt in the 18th century, right. too. Yeah. Uh, and they were like bleeding people because if you're sick, you've got too much blood. You know, like yeah. they're like, ah, oh, we're almost there. Um, yeah, guys, you, we're not almost there. And we're, thank God we're always going to have great right. scientific strides. I wonder if we're going to see a kind of downtick now that science in general, kind of science Inc., is no longer the search for 
or how God is doing things as it has been mm. forever. Yeah. I mean, whether, I mean, you look at early um, American uh, jumps forward in scientific knowledge. You look, you look at, you know, within the Islamic world mm-hmm. uh, in, in centuries past, there have been so many amazing mathematical and scientific yeah. uh, leaps forward. And they've always been, again, with that same assumption right. that we are thinking God's thoughts after him. Right. And once that's gone, right. uh, and it's all about what can this do for us rather than how can we be in, stand in, in greater awe of the creator, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see the whole thing kind of uh, lose its luster and, lo- and, and lose its uh, momentum a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that that may, may or may not be, but that just seems to me to make sense. Well, I think what we're going to find is that there's going to be a shift. So everybody is here in America now. You know, I mean, doctors from overseas are, are traveling in droves to America to learn about the human body and human anatomy because whether or not people are willing to admit it, people do science from the perspective of there is a creator, even though if they necessarily don't give lip service to it. Because they see a design in the body. And if there's a design, then that means that it works and functions as a piece of equipment. And so that means if that piece is broken, then there must be a way to fix it. But that has to be because there was a builder, there was a designer. The minute you start thinking that, no, 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 this is all random and and it just happens because of chance and time, um, you know, at that point, you you start what you were talking about, you start stagnating in your developments. And so I think what we'll find is that America will come to a point where it's no longer leading in scientific thought and development. It will be another country that has come to the conclusion that, oh, no, 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 there, there, you know, there is a creator and, and they have not even um, just that thought, but they have the freedom to think that. The problem is in America, we're losing the freedom to even think that within these larger scientific communities um, yeah. And you're going to find that in those scientific communities where they're not restricting that freedom. Yeah, there's there was that whole Ben Stein uh, documentary uh, looking at cases. Yeah, of that. expelled. Yeah, yeah, that which I thought was really eye opening. That that we were afraid. Yeah, afraid of dissenting views, yeah. and we've known this for a long time. That right. in secular universities, that was the case, but it has never been so just out in the open. You don't need to find an excuse anymore right. to dump somebody because you don't like their religious views. You can just straight out say it. I don't like this guy's religious views. He doesn't fit in here with us, and he's out, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's to me, that's almost like admitting defeat. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and again, and that's where I come to, uh, I'm always willing – and I, and I tell my students this, I, I'm never afraid to, to read material that disagrees with my faith. I'm never afraid to speak with people who disagree with me. That never worries me. That never scares me. I said, I want you to look for the people who try to hide thoughts and ideas. I mean, you know, he brought up Hitler and, and you know, everything he did. Well, what did Hitler do? I mean, the first thing he did was try to get rid of the education system, burn the books, only give out the state's propaganda. Well, I mean, come on, let's be real. What do we have here? We have a system of education that is trying to do away with people thinking for themselves, people bringing up, uh, you know, differing views and ideas and saying, no, 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 this is the standard party line. I mean, you know, somebody wants to teach secular evolutionism, um, secular humanism. I'm fine with that. I teach that in my science class, but yeah, I also teach, biblical creation along with it too guys look at what this says and we read exactly from the textbooks this is what they're saying you know it's not like oh this is what mr bell says they're saying no 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 here's the textbook this is what they're saying um you know and allowing the students to to make up their own mind you know because ultimately i can't force someone well clearly people can be forced into ideas and views but i never want to force someone into an idea and a view that i believe is true. But if you look at it from this perspective, because ultimately it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to transform the life anyway, but it's like, guys, here's the information. I have no reason to hide anything from you. So why in these secular settings are these people trying to hide the information from you? It's it has a little bit more to do with oh it's just not true. If that were the case, then you know Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny would have been outlawed years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with all of that. 
Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing to be a Christian where you, you're called to reason together. Mm-hmm. You're called to proclaim the gospel. You're, you're called to always be ready with an answer uh, for, for the hope you have within, uh, for the reason for the hope you have within. And, and yet you know that your reasoning, your answer, right. your proclamation will not be the thing that, that does it, right. but that you're proclaiming the gospel and, and you're being willing to engage people like Philip does of the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm-hmm. That's the means by which God will. Right. And it's really, a, it's, it's a, you gotta have faith and you gotta, you gotta really have a, a humble view of yourself, I think, before you can really step into that and do it from the right point of view and do it well. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be a pride thing. You know, right. I, I did a good enough job. Right. Can, can I ask you one more thing before we get to our real topic at hand? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> uh, the, sometimes when exchange happens and I feel like, oh, man, I'm kind of I'm kind of pushed to the limits of my knowledge or there are there are an awful lot of mm-hmm. for, for a, a period and an era in which people are supposedly getting dumber and dumber because of Wikipedia and you know, people aren't <laughs> learning things. They're just looking it up. Yeah. There are an awful lot of really smart people. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be, you know, interacting with them. And I, I admit I, I, I tend toward, you know, the online argument, even though it's useless and stupid, but there have been times when I've been interacting with people in person mm-hmm. and thought for a moment, like, wow, I don't even know what to say. And then I've answered them. And then in hindsight, mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that I absolutely did not. I didn't, I, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think about the scripture in Mark 13, uh, you know, don't be anxious beforehand what you're going to say, whatever is given in that hour yeah. is for what, what you're to speak from the Holy Spirit, not from yourself. Um, you ever had that kind of experience? Yeah, I have um, several times, which has um, been it's it's so interesting when when that does happen because I remember one time very clearly, um, I was seventeen years old. I was uh, actually managing my own martial arts studio at that point, and I really, had, I was yeah yeah. I had um um. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But yeah, I was. Um, another story. Put a pin in it, but I want right. to hear it sometime. <laughs> so I, uh, I had two of my adult students. They were the last class of the evening. And we were just kind of sitting around talking. And they, uh, you know, they were asking me because they knew I was a 17-year-old. They knew I you know, went to a Christian school. So they were just asking me about my faith and what I believed. And um, it, one of them at that time probably was in his mid-40s. Uh, maybe early fifties and the other one, um, you know, younger lady, mid thirties, I would say late thirties, somewhere around there. Um, and so of course, you know, these are adults, um, and these are adults who at that point, you know, as a 17 year old, I'm like, they've got, you know, significant more amount of years on me. Um, and you know, they're just kind of grilling me. And I just, I remember this point of like, just answering their questions very clearly, um, answering questions about things like, um, you know, asking me, you know, well, why not have sex before marriage? And, um, you know, and just different things from the perspective of a teenager. It's like, well, all teenagers are doing these things. Why don't you? Um, and I just remember getting done with that. Like, I feel like that was one of the best conversations I've ever had but I also couldn't tell you half of what I said because I truly believe like the Holy Spirit was just giving me those words to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I could not duplicate that if I wanted to because it was just – it was God in that moment providing me with the answers you know, and being able to give that reason for why as a believer I don't do those things. Um, and that's like, that's the first time where I just remember, you know, real clearly in my life, like that happening. And it has happened several times, um, since then. And I, and I love, I love those moments to me. Um, I equate it, you know, I've, um, I come from a small, um, town back home. Uh, when I was in high school and in college, I would preach a couple times in, in church and I kind of equate it to like, I love when the Holy Spirit kind of gets a hold of the sermon and takes it in a direction that I wasn't intending. 
but I also love to prepare as much as possible because I don't, (laughs) I know that on my own, it's like, if I were to just get up there and try to like, quote unquote, wing it, it would go south quickly. Like I don't have the mind to just get up there and do it. And so I love to prepare everything, but I also love when the Holy spirit just comes in and takes over. And so kind of like the whole point of that is I love preparing for things like this, like this debate, this conversation that I have with unbelievers, conversations that I have with my students. Um, I love being prepared for that, but I also love it when the Holy spirit comes in and is like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this one away from you right now because, uh, you know, I've got some things that I want to say that you didn't think of. Um, you know, that whole thing brings up another element to the, the discussion, too, which is the the subjective experience of it. Mm. And, I mean, it's not – it can't be the primary – you know, you ask me now how I know he lives. He lives within my heart, and that's it. Right. But but it's a real element. Like, if, if, if you had asked me three years ago, how do you know there's such a place as Jerusalem, mm-hmm. I could have made a very, very, very uh, detailed – rather exhaustive and logical uh, syllogistic case for the fact that there is. But last May I went there and walked around there and now I can just say easy been there. Right. Uh, you know, like if, if people are like, well, how do you know the earth's not flat? And, and those, uh, those pictures of the earth from the moon weren't just invented by NASA. Well, if you're Neil Armstrong, right. the answer is <laughs> I, I stood there and looked at the globe. Right. Case closed. I don't, I, you know, so I, there, there's also that element to it. And I think, I mean, it's not as valuable when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know you. Like that guy doesn't know us from Adam. There's right. another one. That's the third one, man. Um, Dude, you're and, on fire. <laughs> and old, guy jokes, old guy jokes, dad jokes, dad stuff. So, but, but uh, you know, from, from that point of view, if someone does know you, they're, they know you're not. You, you don't have, you know some kind of psychosis in your imagining conversations, your imaginary friend, when you say this is, you know, you're, you're, it's like you're, you're, it's like you're asking me to, to prove that my dad is real. Right. I, I know him. And, and at some point I recognize that you haven't met him yet. Right. But rather than sit here and have this debate about him, why don't I just put my arm around you and take you to meet the guy? Right. Um, and, and that's, that's where I think, the rubber really hits the road with a lot of evangelism when we stop right. the cl- clashing and instead say, let's, you know, come, come with me. In fact, what, what did Jesus say initially when the first two disciples came and, and you know, they're following at a distance, like, like stalkers, like weirdos, thank God. Uh, Jesus is not, you know, worried that they're, you know, kind of reminds me of, of Dory following uh, Marlon <laughs> or the other way around, right? She's like, get away from me. But, but he says, uh, what do you want? <laughs> and right. they say, well, where are you staying? Right. They could have said anything to Jesus in the world. And they said, where are you staying? And his answer was, come and see. Yeah. And then two chapters later in the Gospel of John, uh, we've got uh, like Bartholomew and Philip. And, and, uh, and <laughs> we have the disciples are starting to say the same thing. Wait a minute. You found the Messiah. Who is he? Come and see. Right. So I think the come and see is, is, you know, it's the go and tell. And as we go and tell is the come and see. And part of it is this, you know, discussion. But you can't stop there. There's got to be, there's got to be the invitation. Right. Well, and I think the important thing too, as we were talking about, is letting, letting scripture speak for itself. You know, as he mentioned, there are so many Christians, or at least people who say they're Christians, who... Uh, pay lip service to God. They pay lip service to the Bible. But at the end of the day, letting the, they, they try to whitewash it. They try to clean it up, make it look all pretty. And at the end of the day, we just got to realize that God is God and we're not, you know, and I, I remember having a conversation with um, a friend of mine. We were sitting down talking and she'd gone into the military and basically gave up her whole, you know, um, upbringing um, in terms of, um, things that she had been taught, uh, you know, and we were, we were talking about the old Testament and she brought it around to genocide and she was like, you know, how can a God do this? And I said, well, the fact of the matter is I I can't justify this to you because I'm not God and I don't need to. This is, this is what God says. God commands Israel to go in and she's like, you know, committing genocide on these people. It's like, well, the only thing that I know is that I'm not perfect. And so 
if I were to go in and commit genocide of my own volition or tell someone else to go in and commit genocide, it would be from a place that's not perfect because I know that's myself. I know God is perfect. And so when he tells the nation of Israel to go in and do this, he's perfect. And she she hated that because it was mm-hmm. like, you know, well, there's got to be a better explanation. And it's like, you know what? There probably is, but I can't give it to you because I'm not God. You know, yeah, well, you know, I... I think that when you bring up that issue, I mean, there's also a lot of resources. Uh, Paul Copen wrote a book called Did God Really Command Genocide? Right. Um, Which I think is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And those kind of things can can lead us along. Um, But, you know, when when someone wants to ask a bunch of questions in a row and all you do is throw books at them, it's not as as helpful as if you actually have the answer. Right. uh, An answer for them, you know, from from your own conviction. Right. uh, Like you did there. Um, You know, speaking of of going to see um, (laughs) and coming to see and – I got no other segue. Let's talk about Solo now. I'm tired of this. Let's talk about Solo. Solo, dude. Um, So I went and saw it yesterday. Actually, uh, once my wife and I got back, um, it was about 3 o'clock. I was like, you know what? I wanted to see Deadpool when it came out opening day. Didn't get an opportunity to do it. We were away all weekend um, with family graduation. So I was like, I'm going to do a double feature. And I timed it so that I could still be home by about 10 o'clock and get into bed by 10. Um, so I went out back to back Deadpool and solo solo dude. What did you think? Um, well, my expectations were low because every review was tepid. Like even the good ones were like, eh, it's all right. Don't listen to the bad press. It's just so, so mm-hmm. dude, I thought it was dope. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I also had this thing where I was like, why doesn't Han Solo look or sound or have any of the mannerisms at all of Han Solo. Right. Um, but, but I felt like the more I watched him, the more I could sort of see him embodying that same character. Yeah. And I thought the origin story for him and Chewie was amazing. Yeah. Him meeting Lando and that kind of tenuous relationship was amazing. Yeah. The romantic subplot was amazing. And the twist at the end blew my freaking brains out. Yeah. And, we brought six boys. It was my son's tenth birthday. We saw it on Saturday. Nice. And uh, so we bring the, we got all these kids. It's me, uh, fellow pastor uh, uh, Tony Sikora, He's a Lutheran minister. Me, my wife, and then the parents of another boy. So the adults in the in the row behind them, and the kids in the row in front of us. And the moment that twist happened, and you know what I mean, the 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 cameo. Yeah. Oh, all yeah. the guys reeled back and looked at us, and we were all just kind of gawked at each other and gaped with mouths open, going, seriously? Yep. It was awesome. And, and people going, what's the point of this movie? It didn't need to be made. Well, no, none of these movies right. need to be made, but this <laughs> one's great. What, yes. was, what was anyone's beef? Did anyone have a valid beef with it? I don't think so. I think um, – I- I think Star Wars fans have just become so pretentious that they don't know what they want. Um, you know, a movie like uh, people were complaining that when um, The Force Awakens came out, so Star Wars Episode Seven comes out, The Force Awakens. Oh, it was just some of the same old stuff. We didn't see anything new in there. Come on, can't you give us something we haven't seen before? What's up with this? And and it went on and on and on. So you get uh, Rogue One that comes out on the in between, and people are like, "Okay, you know, this is this is actually a pretty decent movie." You know, it's, it was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite of the Star Wars movies. Um, and then the Last Jedi comes out, and everybody starts complaining. Oh, come on! There's no way that this would. You know, you, you got to stick to the formula. You got to stick to the. You know, and it's like all of a sudden people are complaining because the Last Jedi breaks all expectations of what they think the movie should be <laughs> and they start complaining about that. So I think it just basically comes down to you're, you're never going to please anybody when it comes to these movies. However, um, people are still going to go and see these movies. So keep making them because it'll rake in millions of dollars and you'll keep making more. And I know I'll go and see them and enjoy them. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of my thought with the whole thing. And you know, when people like complain, this doesn't, this doesn't live up to, the original, you know, Star Wars mythos and pathos. My and, and, and this is not popular. This is an unpopular opinion, and I don't care. Flame me, drag me on Twitter. But at their worst, these newest, 
the, this newest batch of movies yeah. is better vis-a-vis acting, mm-hmm. uh, dialogue, and, and screenwriting, effects, yep. and probably overall story than episode four. <laughs> I mean, look at the, look at the, si- the lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi in yeah. that. Yeah. I, you, could, you couldn't be excited by that if you had spent the last 30 years staring at a blank wall. I mean, it's just nothing to it. Right. They're, they're better than episode one with the stinking pod racing and Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I mean, the bar is not really that high, you guys. Right. And when you get, like, in, in uh, The Force Awakens, when you get some of that quick dialogue that, like, uh, Jason, is it Jason Isaacs? Is that his name? Um, which one? The guy who plays uh, uh, Poe. Uh, Poe is uh, not Jason Isaacs, Oscar Isaacs. Oscar Isaacs. Yeah, Jason Isaacs is a singer. <laughs> which, by the way, I love that guy. He played um, Joseph, Mary's husband, in The Nativity, where I first saw him. Oh, yeah. Then he played this super evil dude in uh, uh, Sucker Punch. Yep. Um, and then he was uh, in one of the Bourne movies. He, guys, he's very versatile. He's very good. Yep. But like, um, when, when he... When uh, he's like on the ground, his knees, and yes. they're holding him at blaster, and he goes, "Who talks first? Do I talk yeah. first? You talk first? <laughs> I, I looked at my wife, and I'm like, "This is not a Star Wars movie in the sense that it's not super cheesy, like crappy dialogue. Like this feels like true to life right. in a real way. Yeah. It feels like this is happening in a world that could exist. Right? And I love that about it. Yeah. Well, in his character had so much more come to life in the last Jedi. Like I, I'm just, I'm shocked that people did not enjoy that movie more. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, come on, never before have we seen a spaceship go into hyperspace and rip through another spaceship. That was, how could you not like that movie just for that alone? I mean, I would have, by the way, folks, spoiler alert. Oh yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're two years now, so I feel I feel I feel good about that one. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would have paid the the stinking you know eleven or twelve bucks to have gone and seen that scene, um, just to be like, it's a ship going into a hyperspace and taking out another ship. Like that was incredible and something we had never seen before, and yet people are still you know disappointed with the movie. I mean, Luke coming back and like you know, force projecting himself um, at the end of that movie. Oh, it was so disappointing. I can't believe that. And it's like, I looked at that and I was like, I thought it was really cool how he, yeah, you know, he had the power. And then at the end of his life, he's looking at two sons, which is where we start off with him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the whole imagery in that movie and the whole symbolism of everything. It was just like, this is amazing. How can you not be enjoying and liking this? They honor the source material while not just leaving it sit there. They build on it. Yeah. And no one, yeah, pe- people who see it as sacred, like if they built, if someone was like, I wrote 10 more books of the Bible, right. I'd be like, yeah, they suck yeah. Uh, because the Bible's done. But right. if I don't view it as this like super sacrosanct thing, but uh, this living kind of, yeah, other people can can build on it now and, and we'll, we'll just judge it on its own merits. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I would have only paid the 10 or 12 bucks to see that one scene if it would have been like it was on how it should have ended. Yes. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a what? It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's great. Oh man. I will say there was Go ahead. I was just going to say I um I thought that uh was it is it Donald Glover who played uh Lando, is yeah, that his name? Yeah, I, I thought he had everything down in that role. Like, I, there were times where I was looking at the guy who played Han, and I was like, I can see it, but there's still some things missing. The guy who played Lando, and I was, I was actually more worried about him than I was the guy who played Han. Like, how do you top Billy D. Williams in that just cool accent? You know, I mean, and just putting on the charm and the smooth, like he nailed that role. And I was just, I was blown away by the job he did. I mean, it, it was fantastic how he portrayed that character. I meant to like, look up and see if there was any, you know, interviews where, where Billy Williams or, um, where, 
uh, Harrison Ford himself had like said what they thought about this film. And I, I hadn't thought to do it, but I couldn't imagine that uh, that Billy D. Williams wouldn't say, you know, you've you, you've done it. You know, yeah. you you really embody. You know, and, and granted, we're looking at younger guys for both of these right. characters. I mean, yeah. if you look at his position, uh, by the time he comes into the story in Empire Strikes Back, he's already kind of climbed up higher, and he's he's less of a kid and more of a and more of a kind of responsible uh, part Business of this, man, this yeah yeah this industry. But uh, he, you know, you you follow that trajectory back, and yeah, you land right on Donald Glover's character. They had the capes, yes. The, I don't know. I, I remember. I'm not. I'm not a huge Star Wars guy. Is it? Is it a memory I invented, or did they reference like the fact that he got the Millennium Falcon from Lando in the original Star Wars? They they mention it. Yeah, when he uh, when okay. he comes in and he says, um, "What did you do to my ship?" and he says, "Hey, I want her fair and square." Right. Oh, dude. And then they give us that. How does anyone not want to then see how that played out? Yes. Like. Yes. That, to me, that's that's the fun stuff about storytelling. Yes, and you know, as as an author, I think that one of my favorite things I've seen as a trend, and it's about it's on the verge of getting overused, is is the whole like rando uh, flashback, right. um, especially in television where they'll do it at the beginning. Like Cobra Kai did this. I don't know how far you've gotten yet. I'm here to hold you accountable. Um, but there's an episode where at the beginning they showed Johnny as probably about a 13 year old, 12 year old kid. And, uh, he discovers the Cobra Kai dojo mm-hmm. and he goes back home and tells his mean stepdad about it. And, and it's the cold open before, mm-hmm. you know, the title card comes up or anything. Yep. That sort of thing, you know, that, that like, let, let me go back. And I think we can even maybe sort of for the, the current iteration of it, uh, thank Tarantino, yeah, because he, you know, he he gave us in in, uh, in the more mainstream world this non-linear, non-chronological thing, right? But but to go back, flash back, and show you the missing piece, yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad did that an awful lot, and then pretty much, I mean, even like Mad Men kind of played with the timeline like that. That's so satisfying, mm-hmm. and to have a prequel come in. And they didn't milk it for you know they didn't like like Luke milking that big gross thing right. um, in the last Jedi. They didn't milk it for like everything. You know we didn't see Boba Boba Fett. We didn't see there was the references too, but we didn't see Jabba the Hutt. Yep. But they they did it like classy and understated, and they gave us this backstory that I don't know you you you'd have to be a real curmudgeon to dislike that. Be based on its merit. I mean, right. I can see someone not liking not liking the story, I guess, but I mean, you knew what you were getting into, and right. what they set out to do, they did. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I will say that I was disappointed in was, uh, to me, that whole thing with the Kessel Run was such an important part of Star Wars. I will say I was slightly let down with what the Kessel Run actually turned out to be. I was hoping that there was going to be more... Uh, more to it like it was it was cool in its in its own right and with what they did but like i was i was thinking it was going to be different i was thinking it was going to be more um going on with it and but that's that's really like one of the only major complaints that i would have had was i i wanted to see something more with it i wanted to see maybe even more flying i wanted yeah. to see even more going on with it um not not what they showed and 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 I think that's a compliment too that what they showed was good um but I, but I wanted more with it with, with that maybe it would have been better to leave it a mystery than show it and have it be underwhelming yeah and and I think I think that would have probably been even better um you know cuz I did I wanted to see it I saw it and it was like ah uh, no there 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 has to be more you know you can't just uh but it it was still Again, when you're talking about, you know, the overall movie, um, you know, it was great. And, and I'll, you know, I'll say, like, I was very negative going into it um, because, like, I mean, we're talking about Harrison Ford. He created this character. Like, how do you go back and, you know, tell this story without him? Um, and and I had issues, too, because, like, the Harrison Ford we meet in um, – the you know a new hope isn't much older than the one we're getting in the story 
Right. So yeah. even, probably two or three years, right? Yeah, that's what I would guess. Um, you know, maybe on on the outset, like five, but you're still there's not a ton of time in between all that. Um, so you know, I was, but I, I will say, like they. I definitely think that they, you know, blew it out of the park with uh, special effects. There was, um, I felt like there was a great heist story in here. I don't think it gives anything away to say that this is a heist story. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. You know, I, I thought the heist story was great in it. Um, and I thought the things that they brought out, you know, those moments that you talked about, okay, you know, um, him him getting the Millennium Falcon, him getting to where he is, that spoiler at the end. Um all those pieces I felt like fell into place. I didn't think anything was really forced or pushed. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like, Oh, I would have other than the Kessel run. I don't feel like I was like, eh, you didn't do a really good job explaining this or that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I would definitely recommend it as a, you know, going out and seeing it. Um, It'll be one that, you know, once I decide to start recollecting the new series of movies that I'll definitely add to the collection and put in there. So let me ask you two questions. Mm-hmm. One is, I mean, these movies, a lot of what, what determines whether people like them is uh, the new characters, yep. you know, so Jar Jar sucked and right. people hated that. You right. Know? Then they, they slowly scaled him back to like being in the background in episode three and you didn't even hear from him. Right. right. Um, which was good. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people really liked Finn and Poe. Yeah. I, I really liked Rose myself. I thought she was a really interesting character yep. and I thought she was cute as a button. I'm yep. not afraid to say, um, <laughs> but what did you think of the Woody Harrelson character in this? Cause he was such a major part of it. I, you know, and also I, the Paul Bettany character. Yes. Um, I actually, I, I like Woody Harrelson and a lot of stuff. I think he does a great job in the roles that he takes. Um, so I was actually really excited to when um, you know I, I knew he was going to be in the film. I was looking forward to him. So to me, he did not disappoint in this. Um, I don't think he ever really disappoints in the characters that he plays. Um, Paul Bettany, I thought was I, I thought he did a good job with his character too. It's hard in some cases seeing a character so close to another franchise. Of course, he's Vision in the Marvel series. So it's it's sometimes hard seeing a character um, float back in or seeing an actor float back and forth from the series. But um, I, I will say I thought that they did enough with him that I wasn't completely thinking about him as Vision the entire time. Um, but I was still kind of in that mode of like, but it's Vision. <laughs> um, so what about you? What did you think of the two? I thought, I thought both were spectacular. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and, and I've never seen either of them in, in a bad role. I don't think even in bad movies, they right. both do a great job. Right. And, and, you know, like <laughs> my favorite role ever of Paul Bettany is the first one I saw him in, which is Chaucer on A Knight's Tale. Yes, I was just going to say that. Oh, my gosh, I love that character. <laughs> and so every time I see him like evil and he has been a few times, mm-hmm. it just chills my blood because it's, it's like eh, that guy, that guy's supposed to be nice. Right. And, you know, as Vision, you know, he's he's not like warm and fuzzy, but he's he's decent and good. He's in a weird way, like the the conscience, even right. though he's he's not he's not, you know, organic or whatever. But yeah, in this case, I thought he was he was a nicely over the top Star Wars bad guy mm-hmm. who felt real enough. You know, right. he wasn't like what? Uh, Darth Sidious or something. Right. He was. He was. You you felt his humanity, and you also felt that he was a little sadistic. But you right. also felt that he loved uh, this this woman right. that that Han also loved. It was it was really well done. And when you talk about the heists, man, I had forgotten about some of these scenes. That train, yes, you know, oh my that, goodness. So that stuff was nail biter, like just spectacular cinematography. It was good movie making. Yeah. With or without the Star Wars label, yeah. Oh, and once once you get the the Han in the Millennium Falcon, it is fantastic. The stuff that he's doing with the Millennium Falcon. I mean, it's it's like okay, you you get this build up to you know he wants to be a pilot and he's going to be a pilot, and then all of a sudden he's thrown in the role, and it's like he delivers one hundred percent. And to me, that was, that was great to see like that transition of, okay, I, this is where I picture Han Solo thriving. Like he is the pilot. This is the guy who makes the Kessel run in 12 parsecs, you know? Um, 
absolutely loved loved that. Yeah, so he felt like he was very restless, yes. and he had this goal, which was which turned out to be nothing at all. And then we find him sort of fall back backwards into his ship, his co-pilot, his place in the universe, and it feels so right. Yeah, and I loved how they how they used the. Um, and I, I know they've maybe done this in some of the, the uh, prequels and, and some of the other movies, um, but not all of them. But I loved how even though everything was super high def and everything, you've got every analog light and toggle switch, every yes. uh, tube screen. We clearly, you know, these these uh, uh, these tube TV vacuum tubes and stuff. Yep. And it, it was so faithful. Uh, it was great. So so. My other question is this. You talk about uh, you're, you were hesitant because Harrison Ford invented the character and embodies the character and someone else was stepping in. How do you feel about this uh, prospect, and I sure hope there's something to it, of Chris Pratt stepping in into an indie reboot? Uh, I, can, I can see that because particularly if you had asked me about that, if, if the only role that I had seen him up until this point was um, Star-Lord, I would have been more hesitant. But his role in uh, Jurassic World, did you ever see that? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. His role in Jurassic World, like that's the adventurer, like wisecracking guy that to me Indiana Jones is. Like I could see him yeah. taking on that character, taking on that role. But again, if if the only role I had seen him in was Star Lord, I would have been more hesitant at this point. Um, but having seen well, yeah. him in that character, I, I could I can picture that. I could have seen him as Han Solo, but he's already basically playing Han Solo, so it wouldn't right. work. <laughs> um, if you, if you, the only thing you'd seen him in was Parks and Rec, you wouldn't think he could do anything. You'd think right. he was just a goof. But right. He's he's surprised us. Have you seen? Um, was it called Passengers? Was that the one with him oh, and Jennifer Lawrence? Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, my buddy Nathan was like, "Yeah, it was good," but so I just haven't had a chance to go out. Uh, what did you think of it? it? It it really it was a great it was a great flick. It was one of those uh, very Hitchcockian. We're stuck in one spot. Um, and you know, that's two very good actors. Jennifer Lawrence, one of my favorite actresses. Mm -hmm. I think she's just spectacular. I think she, she stands out amongst, uh, amidst a current crop of young actresses who are all kind of interchangeable. Mm -hmm. She's one of the few who kind of stands out. And, and I had only really ever seen goofy stuff from Chris Pratt. And then I saw this and I was like, holy cats, he's just, he's, he's really got the chops. Uh, so he could pull off indie without breaking a sweat and i really hope that happens yeah um it's it's it'd be a shame to just walk away from that franchise there's so many other stories that could be told yeah yeah i agree i think uh you know i I don't know if you remember but back in i mean i think it was uh early 90s they started like the young indiana jones chronicles where um i've got all the dvds in my basement right now man sean patrick flannery and the little kid yep nice oh my goodness that's great that is great. And I, you know, I was just thinking like, you know, back to that kind of, uh, you know, time period where, you know, they had the three major ones and then you got the young Indiana Jones and it's like, you know, he's just, to me, he did a good job playing that young Indiana Jones character. Um, you know, and so I don't remember being disappointed with it. Now, granted, the last time I saw it was back in the nineties, but I remember not being disappointed with it. Um, you know, and so I think, I think you're right. I think Chris Pratt could pull this off and it it would be a, um, it would be a great, uh, retooling of the character. I would want them to keep everything that's canon canon though. Not a true reboot where we give them a new origin or something. I'd want it to, you know, you give me a Marcus Brody, you give me a Sulla, you know, but, but not retell the same stories, right? You know, give us the further adventures. Okay. Of Indiana Jones, but you cannot. Uh, that'd be great. You cannot take John Reese Davies out of the role of Sulla. You've got to get him back. <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. He's an old man. I know, but you still got to get him back. CGI him or something. I mean, he was just <laughs> awesome in that role. <laughs> that guy's amazing. I got a, uh, my best friend from high school is a filmmaker now in L.A. and uh, he made a movie that had John Reese Davies in it, nice. and. Uh, I, I remember saying to him, how amazing did that feel? And he was like, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, 
this is not only uh, uh, Sala, but also Gimli. Yes. I mean, just like twofer for absolutely iconic transgenerational roles that will be remembered. Very cool stuff. I don't know if you nerd out. So uh, what we've done here, Nathan. What's that? What? I was just oh, going to we say. We're both talking. Cut, yeah. cut that up. <laughs> um, let me sound like idiots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's okay. They probably already know we are by now. <laughs> but I was, I was going to come in with this. What we've done here, Nathan, is this was supposed to be us debating in this episode, <laughs> and we have just kind of like uh, agreed with each other almost too much. Right. Um, to the point <laughs> of uh, it's a little uncomfortable. So once again, that's where we stand. That's true. And, you know, I mean, but, but here's the thing. If we had disagreed on, on solo, that might be grounds for, for, you know, disbanding the podcast. I mean, you know, that's, that's right. (laughs) That, that would have been stuff fine, but not solo. (laughs) That's right. That would have been the line. (laughs) Oh man. I was actually, I was just going to say, um, I don't know if you geek out on, uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff and watch the extra features, um, oh yeah. So in Lord of the Rings, like that extended edition, um, after they're um, filming uh, Return of the King, you have Dominic Monaghan and um, the guy who plays um, uh, Pippin. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, I forget what his his real, but you know, Mary Pippin. Tom Monaghan's like, the only one I remember either. So. Right. <laughs> My wife's going to be like, oh, I can't believe you didn't remember him. But like basically you've got the cast and they're talking about John Reese davies going out and they were taking turns each night like buying food and paying. And, um, you know, so basically it was his night to buy the food and pay for it. And he's, they're like talking about going out and they're at this restaurant and, you know, they're like, well, you know, why don't you go ahead and do the ordering? And so he's like, you know, he starts like going down the list of appetizers and oh, clams. Yes. Yes. Bring, bring us, you know, two dozen clams and, and the pheasant. Oh yes. The pheasant. How about that? And you know, lobsters. Oh yes. All the lobsters. We'll take all the lobsters and like orders like, you know, just you know, uh-huh. tons of food for everyone. And they're like, you know, they're not really paying attention because they're talking to one. So all of a sudden the food starts coming to the table. And they're like, what the heck did you just do? <laughs> He's like, well, you told me to order the food. So I did. <laughs> this is just for me. Yeah. I'll order for you later. That's right. <laughs> I remember from some of the extras that also there was a tendency to uh, say the line, asps very dangerous you go first until he like put the kibosh on it like all right enough of that (laughs) oh man that's funny that's good dude well we were uh you know on that last one we're coming yeah 35 40 minutes and then on this one we're like yeah we'll just do like 35 40 minutes and we've got over an hour on both of them Nathan, I feel like I brought you up, man. You, you sound did. so much better. You did. You uh, you brought me up. I am going to go and uh, suck on a couple of uh, lozenges while I edit the podcast, but I am uh, I'm doing better now. So <laughs> laughter is the best medicine. Oh, man. All right, dude. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Zach, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.